Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo, Johnny on the other end. A few things to get to, some news and notes. Potpourri, if you will. It is the offseason. <laughs> uh, before we get to that, um, did you uh, did you enjoy your Super Bowl experience, sir? No. No, I did not. Uh, oh, there was... <laughs> no, come on. There wasn't anything fun out, about guy? it. No, I... <laughs> You know, you've got Maroon Five in between sandwich and be, like in. So did they? Did their performance suck, or do you just think they suck? Uh, both, frankly. Okay. See, I thought you thought I thought like their performance was a decent represent representation of who they are. But there was nothing like you can. Okay, I, yes, that's true. Like milk toast, half rock, half pop. You know, BS. Yeah. Yes. Which is yeah. which is an accurate representation, but you can like just go crazy, balls to the wall, do something goofy and, and subvert expectations a little bit. They had big boys show up for about five seconds, which was great. Yes. And then everything else was garbage. I've always advocated, I think I didn't even know who the second guy was. I had to Google it this morning. I had no <laughs> right. idea who he was. Yeah, same. No Look, but is that us I, just being old? No, I no. The, Maroon we might be getting you might hit. even become you maybe no, no. get Maroon off our lawn guy now. Hit came out in 2004. All right, that's that's everyone who scheduled this being old and not wanting. No, to not have Maroon fun. Five. The second kid that came out, that Travis Scott kid. Like oh, I think Tra- he's yeah, popular. I, mean, I know now. Travis Scott, but like that's not. Okay. He's not. He's not Super Bowl halftime material. Big Boy might be. Right. Well, that's what pissed be. me off because I thought like if you wanted to do Super Bowl halftime right, you do the Outcast reunion. Right. But I don't know where Andre Three Thousand is. <laughs> I think he's I don't know that he's really interested in performing anymore. I think I think he's still in the producing side, but I've read that he's kind of he's got a lot of anxiety about performing in general. Really? And I don't think he would Yeah, it's it's something that I guess has been around for a long time and he really loved doing the records and stuff with Big Boy and, and being creative, but apparently he was never all about performing. It's just not his thing. So Wow, that's he does it. I didn't know that. Yeah, I read that he does it sometimes for like to help out a, a guy, you know, to get attention and whatnot. Like, hey, Andre 3000 showing up. You should also listen to this guy. But he doesn't really enjoy the performing aspect of it, which oh, I yeah. it doesn't surprise me that much because he, he kind of seems like that kind of dude. But yeah, yeah you got to have I always say you got to have the local flavor. You got always, always had to have guys at the halftime show, in my opinion, who are kind of near that area or from that area, unless you can get a guy like Prince or something and just going to blow the sure. doors off. But, you know, having a bunch of ATL musicians come in and just knock the doors off the place would have been awesome. And instead we get this milk toast, animal, whatever. I don't care. So it's just, yeah, whatever. Okay. And then the game sucked. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, the game didn't bother me. I was, um, I, I kind of was, I mean, it was, there was a lot of anxiety to it, you know, like it went one play here or there. Yeah. Uh, I thought the defenses were both great. Um, I was really happy for Johnny Simon, who's one of my all-time favorite Buckeyes of all time. I didn't know Nate Ebner as well when he played there. Um, obviously, his story is that of legend at this point, but I uh, didn't know him that well when he played there. But I knew Johnny really well, and and he was, to me, like I've said this before, like one of my all-time favorite Ohio State moments is John Simon holding back, fighting off tears with a, a knee the size of a cantaloupe um, or a watermelon would probably be more accurate, limping out on senior day and tr- doing everything that we knew he did to try to play. Um, and then for that kid to get a Super Bowl ring, you know, I mean, boy, that 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 really warmed me, man. I mean, I was yeah. so thrilled by that. And um, to me, like he is, he is one of the most important Ohio State players of all time too, because not only was he great his senior year, but he was coachable 
and he allowed that the veterans on that team to be coached by Urban because he allowed Urban to coach him. And and that's I mean that guy's Buckeye legend. So the fact that that guy's going to be able to walk around, you know, Youngstown or Cardinal Mooney High School with a with a Super Bowl ring, I think is pretty badass. Yeah, I think that's cool. I mean, that was probably the biggest silver lining that I took away from the game was was John Simon getting a ring. But everything else, I mean, it, you never felt like, in my opinion, you never really felt like, you know, the Rams were really going to be threatening at any point. I mean, they couldn't get anything going except for one drive, which, of course, ended yeah, they really were stifled. They, yeah, and that's, you know, and again, that's props to the, the Patriots for putting together a really great defensive game plan and doing what they need to do. But it was... It just wasn't an exciting game. It wasn't like, you know, even last season where you have this crazy shootout and everything. It, it's just, Oh, no, no. It's very you know, different. I prefer crazy shootouts, frankly, in the Super Bowl. Like, I can enjoy a defensive struggle in any football game from time to time. But once in the Super Bowl, I want to see some fireworks. I want to see something crazy happening. And it just it, it was just this it was like an SEC championship game. And I don't really like watching SEC championship games because of this. It's, it's just, you know, defensive battles and big stages aren't don't really appeal to me. What did you think of uh, Game of Thrones Bud Light? <laughs> I enjoyed that a lot uh, because of the implication that like Dilly Dilly was was put to bed by the mountain and just crushing the skull of it. Pretty amazing, uh, right? Like they let yeah, him crush the fun. Bud Light Knight's head. Yeah, I enjoyed that, that good. quite a bit. Um, the the I think overall the commercials are a little lackluster. They showed a lot of weird like fear of the coming robot apocalypse. But uh, beyond that, you know, I, I thought the Bud Light one was good. I, I enjoyed the one with uh, Harrison Ford and the Amazon yeah, thing. The that was kind of fun because he's just a cranky old dude. But yeah, it was kind of a lackluster lineup of commercials. I think. I think that what you are, my friend, and you are usually a glasses half full type of individual. I think you are uh, what I found out when I turned on social media because I watched the first half of the game with my kids and then I watched halftime and then they all went to bed. And then so I was totally off social media. And then when I got on social media after halftime, what I noticed was just like everybody bitching about everything. And I (laughs) I just kind of came to the realization like Twitter is just an angry, whiny, complaining bunch of people. It's it really, really so negative. <laughs> like everything sucks and it's all shit. And I'm like, wow. I mean, it, it's not that bad. Yeah. Um, but I, you, but that on Twitter, uh, Twitter is, I mean, it was, that was nuts. Um, it, I would say one, one last thing on the Super Bowl: Brady and Belichick winning six and nine in an era where everything is done to prevent it from happening from yeah. salary cap to having to play a first place schedule um, to the draft where you have to pick at the bottom. If you win all of these things, to me, uh, like we will never, obviously, we'll never see anything like it again. And in an era where we get to see Alabama football, and we've been alive for the Warriors and the Bulls runs, um, and and all of that, the idea that the idea that an NFL team could do that spread out over seventeen years with the same coach and the same quarterback, and virtually everything else changed, is I just have tremendous appreciation for that accomplishment. Oh, because it's, it's just. It's stunning. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, and, and like you said, in, in professional football, especially where parody is really just, you know, so enforced and encouraged in so many different ways uh, for them to be able to do that over that period of time is just absurd and ridiculous. And really, it's not just like the fact that they're incredibly talented and whatnot. I mean, because that's obviously the case. I mean, Belichick's probably the greatest you know coach of all time. You've got one of the best quarterbacks, if not the greatest quarterback of all time. But just been able to deal with injuries 
and people coming and going and being able to establish a system that they've been able to keep going for that yeah. long is really just insane to me because it's not so much like okay these guys are the best ever you can do that over a period of like four or five years but to create a system that everybody can buy into and you just bring in you know random dudes from anywhere and then make them into essential pieces of you know super bowl winning teams is just crazy to me like i don't yeah. like i don't think there's anything like that in professional sports where you have that like it's it's like a puzzle that you can just put together with whatever pieces you find on the ground and it, you, i don't know that you've seen that in other sports like with you know no. jordan and the bulls in the 90s well you've got a core group of players that are really really awesome and they're going to be really really good and they're winning all these championships you've seen all kinds of dudes come into new england and win super yeah. bowl with yep. with belichick and brady and it's just it blows my mind it does. It's it is. It's a stunning thing, and it's. Uh, I, I have nothing but admiration for it. Um, switching gears back to our neck of the woods, and just before you and I taped this, Ohio State football released kind of a hype video, a workout video, um, and in that video, the first face you see is one Justin Fields, and I'm. <laughs> I watched Zach Harrison's in it too, and you see. Uh, I think it's. Um, uh, who else is it? Those are the headliners. There's a couple others, but the, the fields is the one that we wanted to talk about, which is the idea of that. So many of the eggs are in this kid's basket. So many. And they, they obviously feel like he's going to be cleared. And I really think he's going to be cleared. You know, I mean, it just seems like a, like a, a formality at this point. Um, but I'm wondering like, is this too much to put on one kid? <laughs> that's what he wanted I, I, right but boy does he even I mean, know look, what he if wants you come to ohio state and and this is the you know the situation you know you're walking into especially yeah. especially when urban meyer is on his way out and you've got a new coach and you know that there's going to be more emphasis placed on a guy like a quarterback because there isn't there isn't the shadow of urban meyer to kind of like you know take the heat off some people you know what you're walking into and and frankly like you know, more power to him for doing it, but this is, this is the game. I mean, this is what you're playing when you play the transfer game. And at some point there's going to be a lot on your shoulders. You can't kind of like just have the fun part of it. You got to have the production part of it too. So I agree. I'm sure he it, wants it's an enormous amount of pressure, but it's, it's, it's expected. I would hope he, I'm sure he wants it. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that this is the same school, same program who a year ago, acted like Dwayne Haskins was fighting for the job with Joe Burrow and in the summer acted <laughs> right. like he was fighting the job for Tate Martelli's Dwayne yeah. freaking Haskins. This kid, <laughs> I mean, I watched him play some at Georgia. Like he's got a ton of talent, but, but he's far from polished. And, and I think he could be, but he's not Haskins, no, you know, and he's like the no. face of the program. I mean, it's, that's a big difference from the way they handled Haskins and Haskins had been here. You know, Haskins was on his third year in the program. It's very different from a kid who's been here a month, you know, and Absolutely and true. it's a lot. It is a lot on him. And it, the idea that I mean, it's to me, the implication is very clear. Obviously, he's, you know, one of the people everyone's going to get excited about. But he's very clearly the face of the program. And and obviously, like Matthew Baldwin, like, you know, maybe when he's done, you can play. Um, and he wouldn't have come here had he not been told he could be the starter, obviously. Oh, but this not. is. Yeah. It is a lot. It's a lot on the plate. That's all I'm going to say. And I, I'm a little surprised at how outward. I'm surprised that the first image I saw was his face. Like you would think that they would, I would have thought that they would have kept him kind of under wraps until 
you know, middle of spring practice. I didn't think that they'd be this aggressive with him. I think that's a fair thing to say. I would, you know what? And I would say at this point, you would probably make it all about the returning coaches and the guys who are going to be established there for a little bit longer. Um, yeah. Because, you know, especially, I mean, Ryan Day, in terms of recruiting, has come out, I think, done very well in the first month. I think he's done, you know, some things that have been really good for him, especially, you know, we talk about some of the guys who've been coming in for future recruiting classes, you know, in a few years, looking really good. Um, I think maybe just for the fact that you do have some guys coming back, right, their senior year, who maybe could have entered the draft. I and mean, those are the people that maybe you want to feature a little bit more. And JK, you're trying to manage, Chase Young. Yeah, if you're trying to manage the, lock, manage the locker room, like that might be something to think about where, okay, this is a guy, and this is, of course, what Tate Martell was saying, right, before he transferred. Like, he hasn't necessarily yeah. done anything at Ohio State. So if you've got guys who have put in the years and and I think have the potential to be national stars in a lot of different ways, and yeah, give them a little bit more, you know, pub, get them some, get them some face time that they wouldn't normally get just because they're not a quarterback. Um, and I, you know, again, I, I'm sure that they're going to be able to manage all that, but you're right, it is a lot to put on on Justin Fields when you know he hasn't really proven anything as a Buckeye. So it's just a different approach for them. It, this just isn't the approach that. No, that urban not, I, to me, it's not, not an urban touch. This is a this is a very different approach, you know, to put this on him. And it's a lot on him, and it's a lot on Ryan Day, who's never been a head coach at any level. Um, so this this a lot. I mean, but obviously they're very confident in in fields and very confident in Day's ability to handle it. But I, I that just caught my attention. I just thought it was be very rare to see that. Like typically that'd be something like JT Barrett going into his third year, you know, Braxton Miller going into his third year, not a month on campus, you know, right. we don't anoint people here. <laughs> you know, you got to usually got to win the job. We didn't anoint Dwayne Haskins and he's going to go seventh in the draft or sixth in the draft. So, um, yeah. you know, I, that struck me as, as interesting. Um, uh, the other big thing where Ohio state football, not necessarily a big thing, but I just, I saw urban with like Snoop Dogg at his arm around him. And then I saw him like <laughs> at the super bowl, apparently being interviewed by chicks in the office on barstool. And I just, right. I just cannot. I just think he likes to be in the fire, John. I just don't yeah. believe for a second that he's not coaching again. Not for a second. It just doesn't it doesn't add up to me. It doesn't seem like it fits his DNA. And I think a lot of he doesn't strike me as somebody, you know, who's mentally exhausted the way that I, everything no. he's done since. And he doesn't strike me I as somebody who's was, fried. Like I think he was fried from this situation. Yes. Yes. That's that's how I think too. And I again you know, for him, when he says like he's kind of tired of all this, well, it's tired of being questioned. It's tired of, you know, having yeah. to be accountable yeah. to things that he believes, you know, is kind of beyond his control. And I think if he found a situation where he felt that he had more control and then, you know, a school was saying, all right, Erwin, this is this is your gig. We're just going to kind of step back and let you run it. I think you'd be fine with that. And it's it's hard to relate sometimes to the love hate relationship that a, a you know a football coach might have with something that stresses them the hell out and you know just clearly the anguish that he saw in the silence stuff we were talking about his health during the season wasn't fake it's not like it was an excuse like that's something that he really does affect him um yeah but then when you get out of it and you realize all the excitement and fun especially your your bro you know bill out in the the super bowl and winning rings and stuff it's hard not to especially as a guy in his mid-50s like urban meyer i can't imagine that it's it's not, you know, difficult to just sit there and see these guys, you know, continue to perform at a really high level when you feel that you probably have the same ability to do that. 
and to win national championships and to do all these other things. So I just, I don't see him being an assistant AD for any long period of time. No, uh, I don't, you know, he's not filing paperwork. Uh, if you're going to be an assistant center. AD, if you're going to be an assistant AD at Ohio state and your name's urban Meyer, the most valuable thing you can do is be at the shoe on Saturday, every home game and shake yeah. hands and kiss babies. And what's right. he going to do? He's going to LA to do studio shows for Fox. Yeah. Like, yeah. Come on. This is, this is nonsense. <laughs> I mean, it's just and it's fine. And it's fine that it's a tra- transitional thing. I just, you know, again, if you're going to pick something to do, just do it. And I'm not going to, if the guy goes on to be a coach somewhere else, I think a lot of Ohio State fans will be pretty salty about that. I frankly will, I mean, that's who he is. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to hold it against him necessarily. I think the stress that he feels and the can, you know place where he wants to be, like that's, that's all on him. He, he, he's the only guy who can make that kind of decision. I'm not going to, you know, fault him for making that for himself and the time that you know he feels he needs to make it but it it's just you know I've had jobs where I really really love the job but it also was just not the right job for me you know where it was just like this is this is just I can't deal with it and then as soon as you're out of it you're like holy crap man I, I can't believe I'm not doing that anymore and it's I can understand that love hate thing that he has with it. And especially when you're making that much money, you have the chance to hang out with Snoop Dogg and win national championships and all this other stuff. I, you know, I can see the appeal and I don't blame him. If he wants to get back into it, I wouldn't blame him if he did, because it, it makes sense, especially when you're as yeah. good at something as, you know, as a Myers is uh, at coaching college football. I think a lot of Ohio State fans had a really hard time understanding like the vitriol that he feels at Florida. That yeah. Florida, you know, feels about him. And if if a year from now he goes to USC and replaces Clay Helton, a lot <laughs> of that same stuff will be felt here. I mean, it yeah. will be. Yeah. Um, maybe not quite to the same extent, but there will be a lot of that. And it's like this is just who, in my opinion, I don't have any there's no insight. This is just reading tea leaves. It just I just feel like that's what he is. He's a football coach, mm-hmm. you know, and I just don't think like at his age, you just shut it down. I just don't. And so um, I'll be, I'll be interested to continue to follow his assistant athletic director duties, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, as they go along. Um, but USC just seems so natural to me. I mean, it just seems like that would be intoxicating, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you got like, I mean, if you're thinking about the potential places he would land, there's basically two or three other programs and USC's probably at the top of that list. So yeah, I can, definitely yeah, the weather's that. great. It's Southern California. It's he's always liked the star stuff, you know, right. it's a Nike school. I mean, he could recruit like crazy. Yeah. It seems like There's, it's too I, easy. That would be ideal. All right. Let's talk a little hoops. Buckeye basketball beats Rutgers. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on beating Rutgers. You did what you're supposed to do. Uh, The one thing that was a good trend is Caleb actually played more than, you know, 24 minutes and coincidence. No, all of a sudden he's dominant. Like he learned how to avoid foul trouble, play with fouls and, and they dominated and these, they've got to win every single one of these games. You know, they've got to beat the Rutgers. They've got to beat Penn state. They've got to beat Illinois, Indiana, all of those. They probably either need to win at Michigan State in a couple of weeks, or they need to sweep the other teams who are like on the fringe of ranking, talking about, you know, Iowa and Wisconsin. They've got to either do one or the other, and then they got to win all these games that they're in the middle of now. They took care of the first step. It's a step in the right direction. It was good to see Caleb play minutes, uh, but beyond that, I can't take much from it. 
Yeah, I mean it's it's Rutgers. You know that it was not quite as close as maybe it indicated towards the end. I mean I don't think Rutgers was ever threatening at any real point. Uh, again, the biggest thing, and this continues to be the biggest concern because you've got one real consistent score, which is yeah. Caleb. And if you can stay out of foul trouble, you only had two fouls for the game. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, frankly, great. Because obviously, obviously every other team is going to be trying to get him situations where he's going to be fouling. So for him to be able to avoid that, he shot incredibly well. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that yeah. was a good sign. CJ had a good game. CJ had like 20 points. I mean, it was a, it was a solid performance. Um, I mean, if Aren't you, would you like a little see... surprised that either CJ or Luther hasn't been consistent every game. I'm not surprised as much for I mean, CJ. I would hope it's more a for wild. Luther. Yeah. Such a wild discrepancy from like right. one of the best players on the court to two points and you don't even feel like they didn't even play. Yeah, I would I was hoping a little bit more from Luther. I mean, not necessarily a guy who's going to score 15 points every game, but you know, like 10, 12 points every single game instead of just disappearing. Yeah completely and you get that from some of the guys on the bench and i mean it's just it is really up and down they seem really inconsistent in a lot of ways uh yeah offensively and that's that's what teams are feasting on when they're playing i mean that that's really what contributed to that that losing streak is that they just couldn't get consistent scoring from anybody especially off the bench so it's you know you've got penn state which they should beat you've got indiana which is in a similar position to ohio state right now that's a team you have to beat uh illinois you should be able to beat uh, and then Michigan State, Northwestern, Ohio. I mean, these are these are teams that if you are the NCAA March Madness, you're the committee, and they're looking at Ohio State, they have to beat up on this part of the Big Ten. And I don't even think – I think, have honestly, to. they have to start, like, kicking the crap out of these teams because – yeah. I don't think you're going to win. I don't think you're going to win against like every single ranked opponent from here on out. I don't think you're beating Michigan State and Maryland and yeah. Iowa and Wisconsin and Purdue. But if you can take out a couple of those and then establish yourself as a bona fide, like I'm definitely above this tier of the Big Ten. I'm I'm not maybe the top tier. I'm not necessarily the best two or three teams, but I'm in that second part. Then you yeah. got a good shot at making the tournament. You got to beat the crap out of the Indianas and the Penn States of the world. Yes, you do. And Indiana, you you mentioned them. They are a team that's you know they're injured, but they are a team that's desperate, and they've got a kid who's going to be in the top you know ten fifteen picks. Um, in the NBA draft, so as a freshman in, in Langford, so yep. they, there's that this stretch is critical, and again, they've got to win them all and they get another chance against Penn State at home on Thursday. Um, were you surprised D'Angelo Russell makes the all star game? He makes it as a alternate with Victor Oladipo's injury. Were you surprised that he was the first Buckeye basketball NBA all star since Michael Red? And what that is, what that means is, is that Thad Mata did not coach an NBA All Star during his entire tenure until D'Angelo Russell, who makes it as an alternate. Yeah, I'm really surprised about that. That's stunning, I, right? Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, you think of all the success on the court that they had, and all the guys that we were super, super excited about. And I mean, you've got National Players of the Year, right? Yeah. Like that's. That's crazy to me. That's insane to me. Like you would think at least one of those guys would have showed up in an all-star game by now, but it just, it hasn't happened. And it's, I mean, guys like Evan Turner, I thought Evan Turner was going to be great. in the league. I mean, again, he yes. hasn't had a terrible career or anything like that, but he certainly hasn't been an all-star and you know, I expected something like that. I expected that to happen. and just didn't. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the con obviously, especially the way that it comes in with the Thad five. And then the fact that, you know, 
Odin, obviously the injuries. Yeah. Connolly, Connolly has been a, a really good NBA player who's been paid like a superstar right. because of how much he meant to that particular market. Yeah. Right. Like it's not like Mike Connolly. Mike Connolly's not a superstar. He's a really good NBA player. Really good. But he's not a superstar. But he was paid like a superstar. Never made an all-star game, despite being really, really good, because he played in the West, which had Tony Parker and Chris Paul and Steph Curry for his entire career. Yeah. So he he just really played in the wrong conference. Because if he was in the East, he probably would have made an all-star. Because in the West, he didn't. And then you bring up Turner, and Turner's the one that you say to yourself, "Boy, that's a guy." I mean, I and I love Evan as a human. I think he's a great guy. I love what he does for the program. How generous he is. I love the fact that he's like the assistant coach for for Scooney when they play that tournament in the <laughs> summer. Like that, he's yeah. so willing to be involved with that for a guy who's made all the money he's made. Um, but I'm with you. I like. I thought he would be more of a, you know, 19 and eight guy in the league. Right. Um, I didn't think he would. I thought he'd be have a little bit more of a complete game. Russell is the guy you loved. I mean, he was the most fun on the court, you know, to watch um, individually. And um, and to see him turn into this despite, my God, the Swaggy P stuff, the <laughs> Magic Johnson saying he's not a leader and shipping him out. Yeah. Um, to be able to do that despite that and to fight back in a brutal spot and leading a Brooklyn team that is that felt like it was going nowhere and now it feels like maybe it has a little something – it's really cool to see. I mean, it's been that's really cool to see him, and he was great at Ohio State on and off the court. He was phenomenal. He was phenomenal in the like you know off the court when you would talk to him, and obviously on the court, it spoke for himself for itself. It, it makes me very pr- happy to see it, but it, it was stunning to me that that there wasn't. I mean, I, it's not like anybody you know got snubbed. It's just that Thad accomplished all of that with a bunch of really good players. Another guy that you would have thought surely would have made an NBA All-Star game at some point with Jared Sullinger, right. who was two-time first-team All-American, and had he come out after his freshman year when it was a lockout strike short in season, probably would have been the third pick in the draft, second or third pick in the draft. Um, yeah. But it just hasn't, you know, it just hasn't worked for Jared in the NBA. I mean, he got paid and, you know, but he hasn't, he hasn't, you know, and I don't, it seems like his career's kind of done from an NBA perspective. So it's, it's a, it's a strange thing that that all of that talent there were guys like Kufus and Mullins who were five-star guys a lot of those type of players William Buford is a five-star guy I don't know you know obviously none of them were were NBA players or they were a lot of them were NBA players but they weren't NBA stars right and so well, really I mean, Mike and, Connolly carries the era yeah and some of these DeAndre guys now. have been really great role players I mean Costa guy yeah. I mean that dude has made so much money he's cashed a lot of checks hell yeah he has and and, no, and nothing wrong with that but you're right no. I mean to D'Angelo Russell, like, I really think maybe more hay needs to be made among Ohio State fans about that. Because you're right. He has really persevered through a lot of kind of, like, sticky, difficult situations in the NBA. And to have the season that he's been having, I think, really is worthy of recognition. Because the dude, I mean, he had an incredibly fun season at Ohio State when he didn't have an incredibly fun team around him. And I think it's it's awesome that the NBA at large is starting to see what Ohio State fans were able to see for that one season. Because he really is an electric player, and he's fun to watch. And, you know, he's on a team, I think, that's starting to help everybody kind of realize what he can do. So I'm really happy that he gets yeah. to be an all-star. I think it's awesome. It sucks that it came down right to the wire, and he's like an injury alternate and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, he's, he's having a great season. I know he'll continue doing that. 
Yeah. Yep. Good kid and, and absolutely deserves it. It's, it was, it's good to see. So um, a little bit of potpourri around the, around the oval, if you will. I want to remind you to be sure and visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Drygoods.11warriors.com. And don't forget to follow uh, the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, my friend, ask us anything time. It is the offseason. We do encourage you to ask us anything. Go, sir. Yeah, so if you guys have any questions, you go ahead and send those to uh, dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Let's start with Alvin. Let's go back to the little Super Bowl talk. What are the best and worst Super Bowl food slash snacks? I like to stay I like to stay with a theme with my Super Bowl spread. Okay. So I like if that. I go if I go down the road of I, I usually have two go-tos. So Option one would be uh, like queso, um, you know, queso and chips, um, chili, uh, homemade chili that I make, um, nice. tacos. That that would be one avenue I go down. The other avenue I go down is Italiano. So that is salami cheese plates. That is pizzas. Uh, certainly pizza rolls. I mean, by God, I'm good at pizza <laughs> rolls. They're probably yeah. the worst thing in the history of the world for you, but they're fantastic. <laughs> um, so th- I go down that road. So those are kind of my two avenues that I go down with the um, with the Super Bowl snacking. Yeah, I, I think you got to go. I that's perfect, by the way. And I definitely err on the side of the Italian stuff. I love the meatballs. You know where you make your own kind of yep. homemade meatballs. Well, buddy of mine, actually, guy I work with, makes these unbelievable homemade meatballs, and he's like he uses like jelly and stuff. Just does everything that's incredible with it in the crock pot. Um, yeah, but I lo- I love the sub like kind of you know get a little sub, put some chips on there, get some Italian stuff. I, I like the I like the combo stuff. I like being able to get a bunch of different things, um, like an Italian sub, get some chips, get some meatballs, all that yeah. stuff. That's, that's my favorite. I really like that because you can spend the entire game just kind of grazing. I don't like having oh, I love to graze. In my mouth so much one. fun. Oh, I love awesome. it. Yep. Uh, worst, I would say the worst for me is like you don't want like fruit or anything where it's like you know it's like a you know, like a wedding reception or something like that. Like it's yeah. gotta be really sports centric. When people try to get out like a fruit plate or a vegetable plate, like I'm not touching that on the Super Bowl. That's not don't get yeah. that away from the lips. I would also I, I frown upon anything that's difficult. Yes. So what I mean by that, like I have no real interest in like a hamburger, like trying to put like if it's a hot hamburger with some yeah. grease, like I don't want to deal with all that. I don't like I'm not a pulled pork sandwich guy for it dropping and dripping. Like it's got to be easy. I, I, especially, and I have kids, so I mean, it, it, I really stress that. In that case. But it's got to yeah, be you easy. Eat it with your hands. It's not worth eating, in in my opinion. Yeah, for a Super Bowl meal. Uh, this last one, this is from James, and he's got a couple of questions about the recruiting process at Ohio State, which is especially relevant because Ohio State, you know, uh, you know, Ryan Day just kind of landed a, a commit here, a five star commit. I think. Yeah. Um, but basically James just wants to know, uh, are there any restrictions on like Pantone as a non-coach, how he can interact with recruits and what exactly does Pantone do? And I'll get to the second one after we answer that one. Well, I don't, I think the better question, James, James, right. I think the better question is what doesn't Pantone do? (laughs) So like everything that Mickey Marotti is to player development, Mark Pantone is to player acquisition. So he is the heartbeat. I call him the ambassador of cool. 
It is his job to know who these players' girlfriends are, what their parents, cousins, third cousins, sisters, brothers, boyfriends' names are. It's his job to know what their favorite music is, their favorite athlete, their favorite shoe. Their fa- That's his job. His job is to know these recruits front and back. I believe his, the rules, I believe the rules on him uh, contacting them are the exact same as there are for coaches. Yeah. But there are periods when he can and periods when he can't. Uh, I think he's he's viewed essentially as a coach in that sense. He can't do it anymore, any less. Um, but I would say that if, I mean, you want to know, like, if, if, if you say the most valuable person of the Urban Meyer tenure on the coaching staff was Urban Meyer, then tied for second is Mickey Marotti and Mark Pantone. And I think a lot of Mickey Marotti, that's how much I think of Mark Pantone. Yeah, he the the work that he does to organize and you know find talent, I think is just I don't think people really understand maybe what he does, which is why I'm glad James Jeez. asked this question, because it's it's just so much research and work. And it's not just you got to know the personalities and, and how to like, you know, schmooze people and talk to people and get them interested in Ohio State. But he's also doing talent evaluation, right? Like he's also sure. like he's trying to identify players that Ohio State would really want to fit the program to keep him on is a huge, huge deal. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's really hard to overstate the importance of a guy like that. in the program. You, do you watch Veep? Of course. It's yeah, one of my right. favorite okay. Yeah, I know it's yeah. a stupid yeah, question. But so you know, yeah. so Tony Hale's character, right? Like Gary, yeah, like constantly <laughs> be at the side. Now, again, Mark Pantone, yeah. like the ambassador of cool is a really good you know nickname for this guy because he's an incredibly cool dude, right? Uh, but that's basically his role. It's he knows everyone and he knows everything about yeah. everyone, and that's his job to do that so that Urban Meyer doesn't have to keep you know every single tiny bit of minutiae, you know, in his head. And, and I'm sure he's gonna perform that same role for Ryan Day. Um, but yeah, it's an incredibly difficult job. It's a really interesting job, I think, in a lot of ways, uh, because of some of the compliance issues that you have to, you know, handle, and also the fact that you got to know these, you know, every family and just have these connections. I do think it's really fascinating. Uh, yep. To wit, James also wants to know: Is there a separate type of like, you know, recruiting twenty four seven rival style database that the coaches use to find players that maybe only college football coaches will have access to, or at least a team will have access to? Not that I know of. Um, my guess is they all build their own database now, but right. I know I, I when we I had a much better uh, open book into a recruiting process when I was at Florida State, and a lot of that was because that was you know that was now I got there in two thousand one, so that was like it was still kind of the wild west where they needed publicity and they, they social media didn't exist, you know, so like they would use, I know that they would use like the rivals list would, they would pay attention to that. Right. And they would, you know, that was part of it. You know, that's where they would start their evaluations. <coughs> Excuse me. I wouldn't say start there, but that's probably not right. Not start their evaluations, but that they would pay attention to it. Yeah. I assume I mean, that we've come a long ways and that the, each program has their own database and, you know, they start scouting these kids when they're, you know, eighth grade through camps is usually how they, you know, kind of ass- assess who's good and who's not. But they do pay attention to, you know, where are kids ranked. I mean, that's you know, right. most of those ratings are pretty d- dialed in. There aren't many that are that are way off. If you go look at the, you know, the top five players in the country the last ten years from re- from the recruiting rankings, most of those kids hit in some way or or fashion, and a lot of them hit big. Um, the the evaluation at the top, we kind of everybody gets. I, I would think that at this point they've probably developed their own kind of database for certain things. Um, yeah. Especially just given the 
the but fact I, that you've got YouTube and you can, you know, people are putting up all this information, you know, just kind of free for all, right? You don't have to, you don't have to go to a site to, you know, download a, you know, 56 KB video of somebody doing some kind of grainy highlight that you can't see, you know, from like 2001 or something. But now it's like, you know, up there and, 1080 you know hd and you can go on youtube and access it whenever you want so the the information i think is much more available to them i always what i always found interesting was the effect of word of mouth and then also what offering a a kid did for the interest of other schools right because obviously you know this is a huge country (laughs) there are tens of thousands of you know kids that you might be looking at over the you know uh, separated over thousands of miles and I'm always fascinated when a, you know, high school senior who is kind of under the radar for a little bit, maybe they're only getting offers from like, you know, maybe low tier D1 schools or maybe even like only, you know, D2 schools or something like that. Um, all of a sudden gets a, you know, an offer from, you know, an Auburn or even a Vanderbilt. And then all of a sudden, like it's, it's, it's like, you know, you just set up the alert, like it's in the matrix or something. And all of a sudden you got the attention of all the robots that are flashing around and they all just swarm on the kid. And all of a sudden you see 20 offers from Bama, from USC, from Ohio state and whatnot. And so it's, it's a interesting to me that I think kids can still somehow fly under the radar a little bit. Although I think that's a lot more rare today. Um, but it's also interesting to see how these schools kind of communicate their interest to uh, to athletes that they are they're kind of protective of a little bit. And so that's where like the, you know, the semi offers come in and all that. And it's just an incredibly intricate process. And I guess to sum all this up is what I'm saying is that Mark Pantone's job is freaking crazy. And I would yeah, not be able to do it in a million trillion years. So, yeah. And it's, you know, everything you explained is Justin Fields. Right. Yeah. Yeah, who, you know, like Penn State found him, commits to Penn State, blows up on the camp circuit be- before his senior year. All of a sudden, he's got an offer from Georgia, and everyone's like, wait a second, wait, what? Who's this kid? <laughs> Who's this? Yeah. And that's, you know, the, that's what can happen. Uh, and now he ends up, you know, doing what he's doing now. But it's, it is a fascinating thing. It's, it is so, it's, it's why you see c- coaches and programs recruit the same areas because they've developed relationships with the high school coaches whom they trust. There's a reason that urban recruited, you know, Fort Lauderdale with St. Thomas Aquinas, like that area. He knew that area. He knew, well, he knew the whole state of Florida, but like he felt like he could trust those coaches there. Then he built relationships, you know, in Texas when Herman was here and, and Zach recruited Texas very well. And, um, old boy, who, why am I blanking on the old boy who ended up at Tim, uh, Tim Beck, he recruited Texas. Well, so they had like these relationships in Texas and and then Georgia got into the mix, right? And then we started getting some Georgia kids. So it's it's really building the, it all starts with the relationships. It all plays in. And to your 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 summation of of Pantone's job is spot on. It's just essential what he does. What's amazing is is like he was a staff of one and now I think Pantone's got maybe like a 10 minions. So I mean, he's come a long ways, you know? And then, and then you're going to have like a whole Pantone tree, right? You talk about the Urban Meyer coaching tree. I mean, the, the yeah. fact that you're training more guys to do what he does is just, it's, it's, it's well, so, the it's guy so that crazy. Herman took, what's the name of the guy that Herman took with him to be oh, his Pantone? Right. Yeah, I can't remember I his name, that kid's name. Right. But yeah. Yeah. He, Fabio or something, Flavio, something like that. I'm blanking on the kid's name, but, but they, t- he took him from Ohio state. He was trained under Pantone. He was like a video right. guy. I remember him coming into channel 10 looking for video. Cause they wanted to, you know, do some hype videos and Ohio state didn't have any video of like <laughs> the old stuff. 
you know? So right. he came to ch channel 10 and he was looking through all of our video to find, you know, hype stuff. And now he's, he's Texas's Pantone. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's just, it's incredible how big of an operation um, I think these, these modern day program, I don't think people really appreciate it. And there's just, there's so much that goes into it now and it's, it's just, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So yeah, yeah that's hopefully is. that answers you guys questions. Uh, thank you very much for sending those in and, and keep sending them in. Cause it's the off season and we like them. So thanks. Yeah. I can't believe I can't remember that kid's name. I'm doing a quick Google search. Yeah. That's yeah. That's it's right off the I top. I can't of my believe head. it. Like he's, he was there all the damn time. Yeah. I was, well, now my, now my, yeah, we're frozen up. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you people will know who it is as soon as you see it. No, no I'm real. Just wait with me. I'm really going to get this. I, this is driving me nuts. I got to get this before we we sign off. I want to say um, Mark, I met Mark Pantone. Fernando Lavo. There Fernando you go. Lavo. Yeah. There you go. I knew. I see. I just put his first and last name together. Flavio. Yeah. <laughs> pretty close. That's his pretty nickname. close. That's, man. His, that's his unofficial that's name. Flavio's his nickname. There you go. Yeah, that's what his. That's what his like that. uh, vanity plate says on his. On his yeah. Course. There you go. There you go. All right. Very good. Good stuff out of you, my friend. We will be back next week for more fun. Uh, thanks for listening as always, guys. And don't forget to ask us anything because, uh, you know, we're in the off season, so we'll take them. Spring football around the corner, but another month or so, uh, you know, before we get there. So keep those coming. We do appreciate it. John, we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Yep. Talk to you next week.